Good morning, Rabbi Sai. Welcome to Yuma Yud Base. It's Yuma Daf 12. It's a privilege to be back again for one more day, filling in for Rabbi Silber. We do have sponsors, according to the bulletin. We have a Talmud Torah sponsorship by Yonan Shushi Ehrenfeld in loving memory and the Zechon Nishmas, their grandfather, Yosef Ben Shmuel Arunzol, and a week of learning sponsored by Jack Bennett in memory of Sergeant Nikolai Rappaport of Givati, who was killed in Lebanon by Hezbollah in February 7th, 1998. Maybe other sponsors, thank you as well. Thank you to all our sponsors for keeping the lights on and the coffee flowing. Shkreach, everybody. We were discussing yesterday, we wrapped up talking about uh, mezuzah. We went to mezuzah land yesterday, and we mentioned Uncleus the Gare, who was very famous for converting Judaism. Hadrian tried to bring him back. He touched the mezuzah on the way out and got the Roman soldiers to see the, uh, the light of Judaism. Hadrian gave up, and then later they met, and Hadrian said, well, what, did you become Jewish? He says, follow your advice, buy low, sell high. People did not value Jewish wisdom, and it will become the most invaluable resource in the world. Now, Uncleus the Gare wrote the Targum Uncleus, which appears in the Chumashim, those blue, blue Chumashim around the room. And we have an ancient minhag. It's called Shnaim Mikra Echad Targum. That means you read the Torah twice and the Targum once. And that's referring to the Targum Uncleus, and that's a great way to learn. You should know that in modern times, a lot of modern postgames say it's perhaps preferable that somebody reads the original Pasuk twice and then the vernacular, the English, Spanish, Russian, whatever you understand, that that might be a preferable way to learn through the Chumash, to learn the Parsha of the Shavuah, the Parsha of the Week, because not everyone's familiar with the Onkelos and the Aramaic. So it, it could be Adif. Some people even say to learn the Pasuk twice and then learn the Rashi on the Pasuk is also a great way to go through the Chumash every week and to get that. Also. Of course, we're all, we're all Shas Yidin. We're learning Gemara. We're Steiging in the Gemara every single day. But yeah, to learn the Chumash is also very, very Chashiv. Rabbi Yosef is all he says that the, the uh, Targum Onkelos is also very important. And he says it's very important if you can to read the Targum Onkelos, even if you don't understand literally everything. You'll, you'll see, because we're learning, we're learning Shas, that the Aramaic here is not so different from the Aramaic in the Targum, Targum Onkelos. So if you start to, to look at the Targum Onkelos, you're going to see a lot of familiar words and grammar that we see in the Gemara. You're not going to break your teeth on it. It'll be, it'll be beautiful. So in any event, Mishnai Mikra Echa Targum, however you fulfill it, the, the Chumash is also very important. We are learning Talmud Bavli, and Bavli means Balul. It's mixed up. There's psukim. We get some psukim in our bavli also, but to go back and read the chumash, it's it's not just for uh, for the school children. It's it's for all of us also. Um, I had a couple people ask me things about mezuzah yesterday, and I am not a posik and I don't play a posik on TV, but I can try to point you in the right direction. And the, to put a mezuzah on a shed is not so simple. Yesterday we talked about storage rooms, barns, a woodshed. And we said that there's, there's a shita, those require a mezuzah. Even, even if your wife is not doing her makeup in them, they might require a mezuzah. And it turns out that there, there are requirements. So I looked up, the OU lists some requirements, the lists some requirements. And it really, there's a minimum size, is four by four amut, to be a chashuv room. We also know it needs a door, tent, fachim tall. That's about 32 inches tall. We discussed that yesterday about the, remember the archway. Rabbi Mayer said the archway needs... And the Chachamim said only if it's a minimum certain size, four tefachim wide and ten tefachim tall for the doorway. We need door posts. And the size of the room should be four by four amos. So, you know, it's about six and a half feet. Some people say seven feet. A bit of a maklokus exactly about the amma. So maybe if you have a shed that's seven by seven, that might already need a mezuzah. But wait, there's more. It's not so plush it. So the Star K publishes Kashrus Currents, which is it's a gewaldige read. It's a great read. Back in 2008, they had an article. They had a shayla about this. And they wrote... Uh, um, Rabbi Frankel's writing, 
He says, even though no one lives in a barn or grain silo, it still requires a mezuzah because the owner uses the room and will enter it whenever the need arises. Rav Moshe Feinstein was of opinion that even an infrequently accessed storeroom still requires a mezuzah since the owner will enter at some point to retrieve an item stored there. However, Rav Lashiv said a storage room requires a mezuzah only if it's frequented on a regular basis. Rabbi Heinemann feels that a storage room needs a mezuzah only if it's accessed at least once every 30 days. So you see, if it's just a room with stuff in it you never go into, we're talking about a room outside, a shed, something like this, it might not need at all because it's not really, you're not really going there. Now the Ben Ishchai suggests that a storage room requires a mezuzah only when the items within will be used in the owner's house. Since the storage room is used for the needs of the house, it's considered adjunct to the house and requires a mezuzah. So and he differentiates, but a shop in the marketplace, you don't take things from your, your shop in, in the shuk to your home. And apparently the Debritzener De Rav also suggested the same thing. So it seems that, as we learned from yesterday, the, the places in question, the woodshed, the barn, you know, you're going to the barn to get eggs or to get milk. You're going to the woodshed to get wood for your kitchen. So all of these outbuildings serve the house, so that's why they would need a mezuzah. But maybe a shed or a storage unit that doesn't, you're not taking things from there into the house, might not need a mezuzah at all. So it is a shaila. I'm not a posik, but it is a shaila if you have a big enough room, arba, four by four amos, arba amos square or the equivalent size. It could be a shaila if it's such a thing needs a mezuzah, but we see Stark you have some guidance. It might not It might not need a mezuzah, it might need a mezuzah without a bracha, as we're going to see uh, further on about a Beit Knesset today. So that's where we kind of left off. We we're talking about a Beit Knesset. If a Beit Knesset needs a mezuzah, and uh, it was a machlokis, we have a mayor and the chachamim, and we said maybe we differentiate between the krachim and the kfarim. A krach, of course, is a big city with a lot of people coming and going. You can't say the Beit Knesset is owned by one person or one group. But a kfar, a village, uh, is, a, is a, it's a little shtibel, and everyone knows everyone, and everyone uh, chipped in to build the building. So it's it's like a building owned by partners, which we say would need a mezuzah and could become tamitzras. So that's what we're picking up on the very top line of Yud Base 12a, right in the middle there. It says the krachim ein metame benegayim. Can a city Beit Knesset not become metame with tzaras? Can get the um, the, you know, the, the, the spots on the wall and become Tameh, Hatanya, but Abraisa reveals otherwise. Achuzatchem. The Pasuk says, Achuzatchem. So it says that Tsaras could appear in a building in your Achuza, in your inheritance. Achuzatchem, Metame Benegayim. So something you can inherit can become Tameh with Tsaras. And Yerushalayim, Metame Benegayim. But Yerushalayim itself cannot become Tameh. So buildings in Yerushalayim are impervious and immune to Tsaras. Yehuda says, I heard the exclusion, the immunity is only for the base of Mikdosh. That could become Tame with Nagaim. So you see from here that a, even a big city shul might become Tame with Tsaras. Even though it's in a big city and it doesn't have one particular person or group that it could be said to be the owner. Ema Amar Rabbi Yehuda, we could say that what did Rabbi Yehuda really say? Anilo Shemate ala makom mikudash bilvad. He didn't necessarily say makom mikdash, meaning the base of mikdash. He said makom mikudash, meaning a beit knesset, a base medrash, that those places might be immune to tzaras. But makom mikudash. So what is the machlokas here about uh, this brisa achuzatchem that your Yerusha maybe it can't become tame, it could become tame, but not your shalim. Tanakama uh, Savar, the first man holds Yerushalayim lo nitchalka l'shvatim. Yerushalayim itself was not divided among the shvatim. Now I know when the, when the Jews originally came, when our ancestors came into Eretz Israel, they divided it up. 
And um, Yerushalayim was actually conquered later from the Yevusim. And David Melech famously bought the spot for the Mikdash uh, from Aravna the Yevusi. Of course, it was a spot where there had been two brothers there. We know the famous story. It's a medrash. It's somewhere. But the two brothers, one had children, one had no children. They kept giving each other grain because they each thought the other brother needed. And then they met in the middle and, and they hugged. There, there's a famous story. There's another story. And it's... Okay, it, it's, it's a little early for a joke, but, but Rebbe always began with a joke. There's another famous story that, that riffs off of that one, and it goes, the two brothers met, and they started to beat each other up, and on that hill was built the Knesset. So that's, that's, it's, it's, a version, it's a version based on the Medrash, alternate version, but we know the famous Medrash, the, the brothers met, and they hugged, and eventually David Melech bought that land from the Yusi, uh, and, and because David Melech collected money, to buy that land from every single shevet. So every shevet pitched in equally to buy the harabayas from Aravna the Yavisi. Um, remember, we had that, that famous discussion about uh, they, they found his skull later on. on, on you know, it might have rolled under the tunnel, and there was a question about the time. We had this in Psachim. They found the part of Aravna the Yavusi under the harabayas at some point, uh, many years, centuries later. And you know, it was a question about uh, the Tuma being, uh, being Nitche B'tzibur for that. So it was not divided among Shvatim because every Shevet had a Chelek in the base of Mikdash. Rabbi Yehuda Yehuda, who says that only the Makkah Mikdash was immune, he says that Yerushalayim was divided among the Shvatim. And it's actually another Machlok is Tanaim about the land of the base of Mikdash. Detanya, and this is review from Zvachim. So we had this in Zvachim just a couple years ago. What was in the chalik of Yehuda in Yehuda's tribal territory, Harabais itself, and the offices, the rooms around the Harabais, and the courtyards of the, of the temple. And what was in Binyamin's tribal real estate? Now remember, that's how the temple's built. It's described like a crouching lion. It's wider in the front. That's the wide section called the Ulam, the antechamber. Vehechal is the, the back section where all the, the, a lot of the good stuff happens, and that's kind of like the back of the line. Beit Kodeshim, and that's where the Beit Kodeshim is, the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctum is there. Ritsuya Haita Yotze, Michelkel Shel Yehuda, Niknosa, Lechelkel Shel Binyamin. But there is a little uh, strip, a little section coming out. The, the art scroll actually has a shaded diagram, it's nice. Um, but the, there's a little section coming out of Yehuda uh, where the. And on there, the Mizbeach is built. And when what happened, and Binyamin wanted to absorb that land uh, into his territory. So see, fighting over land in Eretz Israel is not new. It's been going on for, you know, millennia. Uh, every day, Binyamin the Tzadik wanted that land that the Mizbeach would be built on. It says in Maish's Bracha to the Shevet of Binyamin, he's hovering over it or he's worrying about it. All day, all day long, Bin Yaman was mitzayir, was pained that he wouldn't have the mizbeach. Lefichach zocha Bin Yaman, therefore Bin Yaman was zocha Bin Yaman at tzaddik, v'nase ushpizchan legevura. So therefore, Bin Yaman the tzaddik became the host for the strength of of the Almighty. Shnemar ben ketavav shachen. That was the end of this this pasuk of chovef alav kolayon ben ben ketavav shachen. Moshe's bracha to the shevet. That he that Binyamin is the resting place for the Shekhinah. Interestingly, the Rashi says that that the the Arun, the Kodesh Kodashim and the Arun was in the Chelik Shel Binyamin. But we know, at least our scroll tells us on their little map, that the Mizbeach itself was actually in the Shevet of Binyamin, except for one little corner. Now we remember from our Zvachim days and from learning Midos 
that the, the Mizbeach on the southeast corner didn't have Yesod. The Yesod was the very the base layer, one Amatol was going all the way around the Mizbeach, except for that one corner. And that one corner is actually in the, apparently in the tribal territory of Yehuda. So it seems that even though Binyamin got the land that, on which the entire Mizbeach was built, the actual structure of the Mizbeach was built, it was that one corner that didn't have Yesod that he was so bothered by, a one Amma by one Amma. So we see from here, Binyamin a tzaddik, he's a tzaddik. He was upset about his avodas Hashem, his perfection lacking even one amma bothered him. The Mizbeach, of course, is 32 by 32 amot. It's, it's huge, it's very large. And uh, you know, a lot of things going on, three, three fires going on there at all times. He's worried about a one amma by one amma corner. So that made him a tzaddik. So how, we, 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 need, we need to worry. Of course, we're not a tzaddik like Binyamin, we need to worry also. Interestingly, they call him Binyamin a tzaddik twice here. There's a Gemara in Shabbos. It says Binyamin, was one of the four people who never sinned. That's uh, interesting. They they list there. It's um, Amram, Yishai, Kilov, and Binyamin Atzalik. And all these four people are they're famous and great people in Jewish history. But you should note that all of them were not the leaders of their generation. They were close to leadership. You understand? Yishai was the father of David. Amram the father of Moshe. Kilov was the son of David. And all of them were close to leadership and never became leaders. Because if they become leaders of both sides, someone would have had a problem with them. Someone would have said that sinned. You know, you can never, public opinion, you can never please everyone. So this, this is why they, we can say they never sinned, because Baruch Hashem, they were tzaddikim. They were very worried about even a one ama lack in their avodas Hashem. But Baruch Hashem, you should know, you know, you, you can't please everybody. So, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't try, but this, this is why you call him binyam and tzaddik. So good. So this is about uh, the Mizbeach and the tribal territory of, of the temple. So it's a machlokis if it was divided between Binyamin and Yehuda. Vehaitana uh, and the other opinion, Savar Yerushalayim lo He holds that Yerushalayim itself was not divided into tribes. So it was not divided to be personal property to be owned by individuals. Tatani, like the Brisa teaches, Ein maskirin batim Yerushalayim. You can't rent out homes in Yerushalayim. This is talking about during a regal. When all of Israel is ole regal, someone who quote-unquote owns land or a building in Yerushalayim is not permitted to rent it out. It's not really theirs because they're of a specific shevet, they're a specific tribe, and Yerushalayim doesn't belong to a tribe. Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Tzodek, Amer Aflo Mitat. You can't even rent out a bed if you owned an inn Okay, you could do you could rent out to tourists, but for Ole Regolim, when all of Amisrael came to be Ole Regal to come for the uh, festivals, you couldn't even rent out beds because you don't really own it. Your Shalim was not a sh- the property of a shavit, so it was it was sort of the this this concept of it was kind of a, a no man's land, but it was like for every shavit, so you, you had no personal right to charge another Jew money to sleep in your Shalim. The fichach urot kochim, therefore the skins, the hides of sacrifices. The hosts could take them even by force. Now, that sounds very strange. So what's going on is Ole Regal came, and they brought their, their carbon simcha, they brought their carbon re'iya, because they're showing up in Yerushalayim, they have to bring a carbon, they have to bring their shlamim, so they have something to eat for their festival. Of course, we learned in Psachim recently that they would bring a, a shlamim, a shlamim chagiga, they bring their chagiga, and then they would eat their psachim at the end, so they'd have their chagiga first, and they have their psachim at the end. So all these hides for these various animals that they slaughtered during the festival, the minhag, and it was really a takana, the rabbi said, listen, the innkeepers, the homeowners, they can't charge you anything. The derecherit's thing to do is to give them the hides. And if you don't, then they'll just take them. 
that's, that's what it is. You know, they're not allowed to charge rent or, or you know, to, to charge you anything. So really, the Derek Herth's thing to do is to give them something. Amar Abaye, Shemamina, Abaye says, learn out from here. Urch Arya le Mishpak Inish Gufa. It's Derek Eretz, a person to leave his pitcher. Umashcha le Shpize. For his host. So he could leave his pitcher and the skins for his host. What's going on is he was staying with somebody and he went out and he bought a jug of oil or a jug of wine. You leave him the jug. You know, you, you went out and slaughtered an animal, made barbecue. So leave him the skin. Leave him something useful. As you know, it's a tip, but it's a way of saying really thank you for your hospitality because maybe he doesn't want to charge you. So you know, even if it's even if it's an inn, maybe you just just show him thank you for your hospitality. So it's very a very chashuv thing to say thanks for hospitality. We, we know that uh, the Mitzrayim, there, there are the, the Egyptians themselves, the Mitzrayim, were allowed to convert to Judaism because we were very thankful for their hospitality. The same Mitzrayim that were enslaving us and abusing us and were, were terrible, you know, God forbid, doing horrible things, throwing babies in the Nile, but their their descendants are allowed to convert to Judaism out of our our thankfulness for their hospitality, for taking us in. It's an amazing concept. Whereas uh, Amon and Moab, these, these other nations that were anti-hospitable, they can never convert in Judaism because they were, just, they were just not hospitable. It's really the mark of a Jew is to be able to really give and host and bring people in and, and make them comfortable. It's, it's a beautiful thing. You should know this. It's still kind of true. Has anyone heard of the Israel Land Authority? Yeah, yeah, I've got some, yeah. So, so how, lo- how do you buy land in Israel? Chazagavruch has to be leased. You can't buy land in Israel. 93% of the land is under the control of the ILA, the Israel Land Authority, formerly Israel Land Agency. You can't really buy it. You lease it for 49 years. That sounds familiar because that's a Yovel cycle. It happens to be someone in the Knesset in 1948 read the Bible at some point, he was doing Shnai Mikra, and he said, oh, we'll just lease it out for 49 years, it'll be great, we won't actually, so you don't actually buy land, and most of the land, 93% of the land is owned by ILA, owned by the state, and you, you lease it out for 49 years, you don't really buy it. So it's the same concept that the land of Israel, even today, even today, is, you don't really, it's not really yours, not really, until Mashiach comes and reveals who is in which Shevet, which land is in which Shevet, where we should all go, where our our where our real inheritance should be. So until then, we let the state take care of the land and they lease it out temporarily. They don't lease it out to foreign corporations because it's really the land of all of Am Yisrael, of, not of one shevet at, at this point, not yet. So that's an interesting thing about the ILA, Chazag that you knew. So now we go back to the question, do the, the shuls in villages become Tameh bin Nagaim? So we said that the shuls in villages are a little different because the shtibel there, everybody... Everybody knows everybody. It's in a kfar. It's in a little village. Everyone knows everyone at the shtibel. And so it's like partners. So it's a little different. Maybe it could become a tamay with Nagayim, Vatanya, but there's a brisa that says otherwise. La'achuza. So you only get tzarat. This is talking about uh, getting tzarat in a bayit. In your achuza, when, you, when you've inherited the land. Until after you've conquered the land. Remember, there were seven years of conquest when Yehoshua led Am Yisrael in battle against the, uh, the other nations that were in Israel. It took seven years to conquer the land. Uh, she, um, until you conquer the land. If you've conquered the land, but you haven't divided it up to the twelve tribes, or you've divided it to the twelve tribes. You haven't divided it to the the houses of the fathers, to the you know the the large family units that had left Mitzrayim. You've even divided it among the Beit Avot, those big families. 
but a person doesn't really know exactly where his own plot of land in Israel is. Minayin, how do you know that it's not Tame with Nagaim yet? The person who owns this particular house that has the spots in it, he comes to the Kohen to see if it's Surat. So if you don't know exactly where your own territory is for your own personal family, then Surat doesn't apply. And that was seven years of conquest plus seven years of dividing up the Nachala, <laughs> dividing up the land. So it was not until 14 years after we entered Eretz Israel that the laws of Surat applied. Uh, and this is Asher Lo Abayit, Mishem Yuchad Lo. So this is only a person who the, the house is definitely his. Yatza Elu, this excludes these people during the seven years of conquest, the seven years of dividing. Shen Mehuyadin Lo. So it excludes people that it's not definitely theirs. So that would seem to exclude a Beit Knesset of the Kfar, but we could say, again, maybe it's the maybe Shutfim. Maybe they all got together formally and bought this property as partners and built a shtibel there. So maybe it, it is really Miyochadatim. Elem Echavar took the Shinamikar. So rather, it's better, like we said before, which was the very end of yesterday's daf, that a Beit Knesset that has a Beit Dira, that has a residence for the for the Chazan, which is the, the Shamesh or the Gabai. So that includes a mezuzah. But Stama Beit Knesset doesn't need a mezuzah. Now look around, Rabbi. Say, we, we, Baruch Hashem, we have mezuzot on our doors. So it's an interesting thing. We have mezuzot, even though we don't need them. But there's a Shulchan Aruch, don't worry. And uh, he gives us a hint as to why this is. So another, I've got the Shulchan Aruch open. We didn't get to it yesterday. But the Shulchan Aruch said we were talking about yesterday. So this is Chazar, Beta Tevin, Beta Eitzim, Beta Bakar. Remember, this is the barns, the woodshed, the Chayavin, the Imanashim Rachetzopehen. If women wash in them, Kevin Shaumdin Shama Rimot, Ein Kavod Shemaim Liot Sham Mizuzah. It's not so Kavod Shemaim. Uh, remember that that was the Chilak yesterday. If they're washing there and they're unclothed, maybe it shouldn't have a mezuzah. But if not, Stam, they should have a mezuzah because again, they serve. They serve the house, like the Ben Ishayid said about uh, you know a, a shed that serves the house. You take things from there into the house. So that was that's from yesterday. He also says interestingly another thing uh, in Halacha Hey. This this is in Yeridea Refu uh, two eighty six. Says in Halacha Hey, b'makam sheish tinuf, a dirty place. Don't you know that Mitzuyin Sham? The the kids are there. It's a laundry room, something like this. Tov lechaso the mezuzah. It's good to cover the mezuzah. This is very interesting. So our minog now is we always cover them. But it seems that even 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, it was not uncommon that the mezuzah scroll itself was, was, you could touch the scroll itself. It wasn't necessarily covered with something permanent and sealed off. So nowadays we have, uh, they're sealed off, and it's, it's, a, it's a good thing for them. We said yesterday, actually, we should check them twice in seven years. There are some, uh, some authorities, um, I even wrote it down yesterday, um, Shlomo Zalman, Shlomo Zalman Arbach says that a mezuzah it's sealed in a case. If it's nicely sealed, you don't really have to check it. You rely on the chazaka. It was written correctly as long as you got from a reputable sofer. It was written correctly. If it's sealed off, you shouldn't have to check it. It's the mezuzah that are exposed to the elements. There's wind, there's rain, there's sun. That's where you might have a problem. He says the same for tefillin also, that if your tefillin has no reusa, it never got left in a hot car or got schwitz on it or something like this. He says the same thing. That's Rav Shlomo Zalman Arbach. So it's a little different than it used to be by tefillin and mezuzot, that ours are very well sealed, so you shouldn't have to, to check them very often. So that's, this is the makom shesh tinuf, it was good to cover it. Anyway, okay, so that was, that was al-Khazara, getting to today, so halacha yud. Uh, he says, Beit ha-medrash, pater im yesh bo petach shiragah letzit bo lebeto, if it's connected to a house, chayi v'mezuzah, be'oto petach, and that door, yesh omrim she Beit ha-medrash chayi v'mezuzah, so some people say a Beit Medrash 
has to have a mezuzah. Nachol nachosh tevrahim. So the Shulchan Aruch paskins, it's proper to worry about their opinion. But we don't make a bracha putting the mezuzah on the base medrash, but we do put a mezuzah on the base medrash. So our shul is a base medrash. Right this second. This is base medrash. A Beit Knesset is a room that's only for tefillah. A room where you also learn Torah is a base medrash. So this room is a halacha, the base medrash, which is good. It's good. It's actually, it's a shtikal pikuach nefesh because you can't drink coffee in a Beit Knesset. But a base medrash, you can and if someone's learning there all day, if someone's mama, she's sitting in the base medrash learning all day, he's sitting at his table, steiging, he could even bring his lunch. He could even take a little shluf after lunch because it's a base medrash. It's not quite the same as a big knesset. So really, we build our bata knesset all tonight. We, we kind of allow a little bit of um, eating and drinking, a little bit of singing and dancing. We allow these things that really, minadin, a strict, staunch bit knesset wouldn't really have all of these things. But since it's also a base medrash, we, we can eat and drink and be merry a little bit, and we also need the mezuzot. Also, this, uh, the Shulchan Aruch, 286, uh, Halacha 10, that's, that's why we have mezuzot on the door. So Baruch Hashem, we have, have a little chazara of the halachot, and we have a little explanation of why we have mezuzot all over the place uh, in our Beit Knesset. Good, so at the two dots, Matkinan lo kohan achar. So this is going back to the first Mishnah on Daf Base. We are metaken, we set up a backup kohen godel. Shita, isn't it obvious? If ira bo psul, kodem tamid shel shachar. So if the first Kohen Gadol, the original Kohen Gadol, gets his psul, he gets his, his tame or his problem, his mum, before the tamid shel shachar, the first olat aboker. Mechan uh, chinoisa, we, we, mechanech um, is really, it means like educate or appoint or bring in, inaugurate is the best word here. We inaugurate the backup Kohen, but tamid shel shachar. We have him do the Tamid Shel Shahar. Now, it's not that simple. He doesn't just walk up and do a Tamid Shel Shahar. He has to get dressed first. So we remember, it was actually one week ago today, on Daf Hey. Remember, there's two ways. There's two ways to appoint a Kohen or a Kohen Gadol. Who remembers? I, I heard Begadim and I heard Shemen, oil. Right, the Shemen of Mishcha, the oil, or the Begadim. And they said, Lechatchila, they should do both for seven days. That's what Moshe did to Aaron and his sons. He dressed them and anointed them all seven days of the Miluim. But they said, even if you only dressed him or only anointed him, even if it's only one day, it still works. There's a tremendous Musr here, Rabbi Tremendous. You, you thought we were starting late and skipping the Tzitka Tzadik. You wouldn't get any Hasidus today. Okay, here's our Hasidus for the morning. The Begadim is what we call Chitzoniot, or Chitzonius in Hasidus. It's the external appearance. So your Begadim, what you wear, how you carry yourself, how you act, how you talk, how you interact, everyone knows that. The oil, the Shaman and Mishcha, is what absorbs into you. It's panemius, we call it. It's your inner attitudes. And we see that both of these aspects, your, your outward interaction and your inward attitudes, they're both important in Judaism. And the Kohen Gadol had to work on both. He had to work on the outer appearance, the trappings of his office, and his inner attitudes. And we have the same thing. Any mitzvah we're involved with, you know, Rabotai, you can go, be, before Sukkot, you can go and you can get the most mechudar esrog. You can get a beautiful etrog that's just mamish. It's the most beautiful etrog you've ever seen. But the person, when he comes to make the bracha on his lulav, he can be spaced out. So you could have the chitzonius. You could have the, it's a gorgeous esrog, gorgeous, mechudar. But he's not, he's spaced out. He's doing na'anuim. He's like, mm, where's the, thinking about something else. He doesn't have the panemius. Or you could have a person with a very poshut etrog. No one, no one will look twice at his little esrog. And, uh, but he has such kavana, he's doing the na'anuim, he's thinking about the Zohar and the Kabbalah, and he's like way up in the atmosphere. Good to have both, good to have both. But even if you only have one or both, that's still good. It still appoints you as a Kohen, it still elevates you. 
even if you're just worried about the chitzonilt, the, the mechudar aspects of the mitzvah, you know, having a beautiful Shabbos suit, a beautiful Shabbos table, you know, beautiful food, great, great stuff for Shabbos, even if it's only the oneg, only the physicality you're worried about, that's still, that's still important, still good. Or even if it's only the inner part, you're worried about the kavana and the, and the intention, that's also good. Great to have both, but even, even having one or the other still elevates you. So that, that's, that, that's our chassidus for today about the two ways to appoint a kohen or kohen gadol through wearing the bagadim or the oil. So in this case, what happened is the first kohen, the original kohen, is puzzle now, and they're going to bring in the backup. So how do you bring in the backup? So either we anoint him, or really we put clothing on him. We put the clothing of the Kohen Gadol on him, and he does an avoda. He has to do something in the clothing. He can't just sit there in the clothing and be the Kohen Gadol. He has to do something in the clothing. So if the psul happened before the Tommy Shoshachar, so we'll have the new guy, the backup Kohen Gadol, do the avoda in the big day Kohen Gadol. He'll do the Tommy Shoshachar. And now Mazel Tov, he's inaugurated as the Kohen Gadol. He's now officially the Kohen Gadol, not just the designated uh, backup on the bench. So good. Uh, but what if the original Kohen Gadol got Tamei or got a Mum after the Tamei Shoshachar? How do we inaugurate the backup Kohen Gadol? We put on him the belt, the belt of the Kohen Gadol. So since the belt of the Kohen Gadol, according to this opinion, was different than the belt of a Kohen Hediot, we've now upgraded his Kedusha with the new belt. That sounds great if you tell me that for the rest of the year, on days that are not Yom Kippur, the belts were identical, but that the Kohen Gadol had a different belt on Yom Kippur. But if you say their belts were not identical, what's going to come out? Now, we're going to find out, we're going to discuss this more on Ahmed Base. is that there's a machloket if the belt all year for the Kohen Gadol was made of pure linen, of boots, or if it was kilayim, it was, it was actually wool and linen together. And since the Torah commanded us to, of course, we, we, don't, we don't wear wool and linen together, but when the Torah commands it, then it's allowed, because it's ase doche lotase, that a positive commandment overrides a negative commandment. We actually have the Shabbosei by tzitzit, because our mitzvah to, do, to, to put tzitzit, al-kanaf t'chelet, is written right next to the Isra of kilayim. You would technically be allowed to put wool tzitzit on a linen beged. Technically, we don't do this. It's not the menag. But technically, the mitzvah ase is doche the mitzvah lotase. So technically, it would be fine. So here to the avnet shalkon gadol, it could either be pure linen or it could be kilaim. It could be wool and linen together. So if it's different from the kohen, then simply putting the belt on the backup kohen gadol will elevate him to kohen gadol because now he has a new belt. It wasn't like his old belt. It's a new belt. So people will realize that he's now appointed the kohen gadol and now he's doing an avoda in the new belt of the kohen gadol. People will realize it. No, he has to wear all eight garments according to the opinion that it was the same belt. According to the opinion that the belt of the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur is the same as a Kohen Hedyot, then really he should have to wear all eight vestments, uh, garments. Um, let's, let's step back for a second. There's four garments all of the Kohanim share, Kohen Gadol and Kohen Hedyot, right? They have their, their, their tunic and their... Michnasayim, the pants, and the the mitznefet, uh, the, the hat, and the belt, and the avnet. They all have that, but the Kohen Gadol is upgraded. So remember, he has the choshen mishpat, the ephod, the tzitz, and the meal. He has extra begadim. He has eight instead of four. So really, if you say if you say that the belt is different, then the new Kohen, the backup, could just wear the four garments of the of the Kohen Gadol, that the, the white garments that the, he wears on Yom Kippur. But if you say they're the same, he would have to wear all shmoni. He would have to wear the golden garments also. He have to have to wear uh, those. Now remember, we're going to find out later a lot about the garments of the Kohen Gadol. 
Uh, they were very expensive. They would make a new set each year. We're going to find out on Amud Beit a little bit about that. But the golden garments, he wouldn't wear for certain Avoda Yom Kippur. A lot of, you remember this from Yom Kippur, when we read about the Avoda, there's a lot of changing clothes going on. Because certain avodots of the Kohen Gadol were done in the golden garments, that's all eight, the normal year-round garments of the Kohen Gadol, and certain were done in the Big Day Lavan, the, the white ones, which is only four of. So that's what we're talking about. If uh, the belt is not different, he has to wear all eight garments, the whole the whole regalia, Rabbi Sai, to do the avoda. And what does he do? And he goes, he turns over with a fork. So he turns over with a fork, so he goes up on the Mizbeach, he stabs a piece of the Ola that's burning the Mizbeach, and he just turns it, turns it over. This goes like Rav Huna, that a non-Kohen who goes up there and turns something over the fork is Chayav Misa. We're going to learn about this. This is, uh, this is if, if you're in the Smichas Chaver program, we just finished Hilchas Muksa. We're going on to, to laundering, and eventually we're going to get to Bishel, God willing, about cooking, that even cooking something faster is Chayav Deraisa. It's, it's a malacha. You understand, you go over to a frying pan, and you turn the steak over, and now it's cooking faster. So this is the same thing the Kohen Gadol's doing. He's wearing the garments of the Kohen Gadol, and he's flipping something over. Rav Papa Amar, Avodasai Mechanche. Just doing an avoda of Yom Kippur, that is enough to inaugurate him. So even he just puts on the garments, or he gets anointed with the oil, and he starts doing the avoda, that's enough, even if he's not involved in the Tomish Shachar. Milo Tanya, haven't we learned in Baisa, Kula Kalim Moshe, all of the vessels that Moshe made, Meshichason Mekadishtan, that their Meshicha was Shaman Mishcha and the Miluyim, that was Mekadish them for temple service, Mishkan service. Then, Mekan Ve'elech, after this point, if they made new Kalim, Avodasan Mechanachachson. Even doing an Avoda with these Kalim would be Mechanach, would inaugurate them to serve in the Mishkan or the temple. Hachanami Avodato Mechanachto. So, too, the backup Kohen Gadol, when he starts doing the Avoda of Yom Kippur, that also inaugurates him officially as the Kohen Gadol. Kiyatar of Dimi Amar of Neitor Shakon Hediot. Yeah, the belt of the Kohen Hediot, Rebbe, Rebbe, Elazar, Rebbe, Shimon, Chadamar shel Kilayim, Chadamar shel Boots. So one says it was Kilayim, wool and linen, one says it was pure linen. So this Rebbe, Elazar, Rebbe, Shimon is Shimon Bar Yochai. We're one week out. It's beautiful. We're one week out from Lagba Omer, and here is Rebbe, Elazar, who is in the cave with Rebbe, Shimon in Maron. And he is having a machlokis with Rebbe, Yehuda, Hanasi. So this is a one-week preview to warm us up for Lagba Omer. Beautiful. So there's a machlogis about the belt. Tistaim the Rebbe who the Amar Kilaim. So let's learn now that it's Rebbe who said the belt was Kilaim, wool and linen mixed. The Tanya ain ben Kohen Gadol a Kohen Hediot. There's no difference between the Kohen Gadol and a regular Kohen. Ele ba'avnet. Only the belt is different. Divri Rebbe. That's what Rebbe says. Rebbe Elazar, Rebbe Shimon, Omer af lo avnet. He says even the belt was not different. They had the same belt. Emat. Let's say inema b'sharim motashana. Are we talking about the other days of the year, not Yom Kippur, Tuva, Ika? There's a lot of differences, because again, the Kohen Gadol had eight garments, and the regular Kohanim only had four. Kohen Gadol Meshamesh Bishmona, he's got eight. Hediot Arba with four. Elalav B'Yom Kippurim, this must be on Yom Kippur, we're saying the only difference is the belt. Amri, uh, that's what they're talking about. No, they could be talking about the other days of the year, not Yom Kippur, Bachanach Teshavin, we're talking about the four garments that are the same, the, the tunic and the pants and the hat and the belt. When Ravin came to Eretz Yisrael, Amar Avneitor Shakon Gadol B'Yom Kippurim Divrei Kol Shel Boots. He says everyone agrees that it's pure linen uh, is the make of the belt for the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur. B'Sharim Moshe Shana Divrei Kol Shel Kilaim. And the rest of the year they agree that the belt of the Kohen Gadol was Kilaim. Lo Nechlaku Elib Avneitor Shakon Hediot. They disagree about the belt of a regular Kohen, a non-Gadol Kohen. Bein B'Sharim Moshe Shana Bein B'Yom Kippurim. And they disagree all the entire year, even on Yom Kippur. Rebbe says, Shel Kilaim. He says, the regular belt 
of a regular Kohen was Kilayim, was woolen linen. Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Shimon, Omer Shell Boots. And he says it was pure linen. And of course, if it's pure linen, it would be identical to the belt of the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur, and you couldn't rely on the belt to make him distinct, to make the backup Kohen distinct from a regular Kohen. You would have to put on all eight garments or do the Avoda in, in that opinion that the Avoda would inaugurate him. Amr of Nachman Bar Yitzhak, we also learn this in a Mishnah. Al Bissaro, his pants will go on his flesh. Ma Talmud Lomar, what is the Torah teaching us? Yilbash. So it also says Yilbash. So let's get the Pasuk because this is important. It says in Vayikra Perikvav, Vilavash Kohen Midovad, and the Kohen wears a clothing, measured clothing of linen, Umichnasevad, and linen pants, Yilbash or he wears on his flesh. This is by Trumas Adeshen, the famous first avoda of clearing out the ashes from yesterday. Remember, we always start by cleaning up yesterday and start on a clean slate. Asher that the fire is eaten at the Ola from the Ola of yesterday. Mizbeach, he puts the, puts the ashes on the ash pile next to the Mizbeach. But we see, we see this word lavash, the Shoresh Lamed Veshin, we see it twice. So why does it have to say al bissaro matamad lomar yubash? We already said lavash al bissaro, and now it says again yubash. We have this twice. Lahavi mitznefet va'avne. This includes his turban, his hat, and his belt, because the the pasuk only said his midovad, his tunic, and his michlezevad, his pants. You might have thought you'd do truma sedeshin just wearing the shirt and the pants, and not the hat and the belt. So we have this extra lavash that says you have to wear all four garments of the Kohen to do the Truma Sedeshin. Harama Sedeshin. So that's what you need for Harama Sedeshin. Divri Rabbi Yehuda. That's what Rabbi Yehuda says. Rabbi Daisa Omer, the Havi Bigde Kohen Gadol. Yom Kippurim. So this actually includes this extra lavash, includes Begadim that belong to the Kohen Gadol, used by the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur. Shen Kisherim, that they could be reused the Kohen Hediot for a Kohen Hediot. So he's saying they're identical. Since the belt of the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur is Shalbutz, is pure linen, that all four of the basic garments of the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur could be recycled and worn by a Kohen Hediot, because they're all the same garments. Rebbe Omer, Sheitz Shuvah So Rebbe does not agree uh, to Rebbe Daisa. He says there's two, two answers to this. Chada, Devnetar Shalkohen Gadol Yom Kippurim, He says, first of all, I don't hold the belt was the same. I hold the belt of the Kohen Golem Kippur was not the same as a Kohen Hediot for the whole year. The oath and also Begadim Shishtamsha Behen Kedusha Chamorah, garments that you've used for a very Chamor, a very a very stark Kedusha, Yom Kippur. They, they went into the Kodesh Kedashim Yom Kippur. To Shamash Behen Kedusha Kola, a regular Kohen's going to wear them from a sedeshen. So you're going to take the big day Kohen Gadol that yesterday were in the Kodesh Kodshim and uh, you know, doing the most Chamor service that we remember, we, we just learned this week that a lot of Kohanim would pass away because they were not tzaddikim, they had bribed their way into the office, and they came to do the ketoret lifnayo lifnim. They came to the Kodesh Kadashim, the inner sanctum, and they offered their ketoret a little bit wrong, or the wrong kavana, they weren't such a tzaddik. They passed away right there in the Kodesh Kadashim. That, that's happened so often that, remember, we compared the Bayes Rishon and the Bayes Shani, that uh, there were 300-plus Kohanim Gedolim during Bayes Shani for 420 years. So a lot of them didn't even live out a year because on Yom Kippur, a lot of them passed away. So that you see how chamor this is, that the Kohen Gadol had to be mamish, mamish at Sadiq, mamish have the panemius and the chatsonius in line. You know, he had to be really, really on the level. Uh, it was a mamish kedusha chamura. So you're going to recycle those same begadim he wore for a Kohen Hediot. It sounds very strange. Elamatam alamar yilvash. So why does the Pasuk say lavash and yilvash? It repeats the verb twice. The Rabbah says shachak et shachakim. It includes worn out garments. 
So more even worn out garments are a little a little bit worn out. They don't have holes in them, because that's puzzle. But they're a little worn out. Those are still kosher. Taisos has a problem. Taisos has a problem with this. The second Taisos is on the daf. He says, eat strich kra. We need the pasuk. That ones with the holes of the Korayin, they have a, a rip in them. Psulin, those are definitely puzzle. This is a review from Zvachim, because it says that the garments of the Kohen Gadol are they're for honor and glory. So we say that if they're a little worn, they don't have any rips, they don't have any holes, but they're a little bit worn out, they're used. We would say also that ain't on the use of makam because we don't have poverty in a mako, in a place of riches. We use this all the time. Uh, this this phrase ain't on the use of makam regarding the temple that everything there should be beautiful, should be the kavodot forest, should be upgraded, should be very nice. So we're going to see when Mashiach comes, going to be a lot of plaques because a lot we're going to donate a lot of money to make sure everything in the temple is mwah, is gorgeous. So going to be a lot of plaques for the donations. But there's this Indian that you shouldn't use things that are worn out there. Uh, good. So, so he's saying that's why we need the pasuk. We we need we need really an extra word in the Torah to let a Kohen you wear a used garment because otherwise we thought the Kavod everything should be perfect, everything should be new. So that's the Rosh Hashanah. But as Rabbi Dose the time, Rabbi Dose, who says you could reuse the big day Kohen Gadol for Kohen Hedyot, he goes with his reasoning. The Tanya the Bryce says Chinicham Sham, you leave them there. So this pasuk says Va'aron El Ohel Moed. He leaves the garments there. We're about to read this in the Torah about the Avodah Yom Kippur. He leaves the clothes there. There's a lot of changing of clothes, but the special clothing he wore in the Kodesh Kodashim, he leaves them there. They need a Geniza, like a worn-out Siddur. Something like this. They, they have to be buried. They have to be put away. They have this special Gedusha. He says they don't really need to be buried in Geniza. Just you can't use them next year for Yom Kippur. We're going to learn out later in Yuma they would make a new set of very expensive, fine material, a new suit every single year. So he says you couldn't use them for next Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur Acher, but you could use them for Kohen Hedio this year. There's an amazing Shaila, and I can't remember who they asked, but there was a survivor of Shoah, and he was getting very old, and he wanted to be buried in his concentration camp uniform. And he said that it would be... Uh, a kapara for him to be buried in this. And they said, I don't know. The Hebrew Kedisha says, nah, nah. They went to a posik and he said, we're very, very um, exacting about the minhagim of the Hebrew Kedisha. The minhagim is to be buried in the tachrichi and the shrouds like everyone else. But what you should do is put them in the Aron with you. That when, they, when the Hebrew Kedisha buries this man, he should wear the same thing as everyone else, but the uniform from the camp, it should go in with him. It should be chinicham sham. It should be like a geniza with him, and that'll be that'll be enough of a kapara for him. He doesn't have to actually wear it. So it's an amazing thing. Amazing he still had it after all those years. But it's chinicham sham. It's like uh, this garment has acquired uh, a kedusha, so it has to it can't be reused. It can't be recycled for the next Yom Kippur, according to Rabbi Dosa. For everyone else, they say it can't be recycled at all. It can't be used at all. It needs a geniza. Uh, so if the Kohen Gadol got a puzzle. And they appointed, they, they inaugurated the backup Kohen Gadol. Rishon Chosle Vadasa. So when the, when the tumor is over, the first Kohen Gadol, the original, goes back to work. He goes back to being the Kohen Gadol. Shani Kol Mitzvah's Kahuna Gadol Alav. And the second one, he has all the respect and the authority of the Kohen Gadol, but he can't do the work because the first one's back in business. Divrei Rebbe Meir. This is Rebbe Meir's opinion. Rebbe Yossi Omer, Rishon Chosle Vadasa. Shani Eno Raoi. 
but the second one is not roi. Lo the kohen gadol, lo the kohen hedir. So Rebbe is saying that the backup kohen gadol is still the backup kohen gadol. He still has the position of kohen gadol. In theory, he could do the avoda. Um, <coughs> but Rebbe Yossi, Omer, Rishon, Chazor, Vodasu, Shani, Eno, Roi, why is he not Roi? Lo the kohen gadol, lo the kohen hedir. He can't be a kohen gadol anymore because the first one's back in business and he can't be a kohen hedir either. Amar Rebbe Yosei, Maisei be Yosef ben Elam, and there was a story of Maisei of Yosef ben Elam, who was who was backup Kohen Gadol, but Tzipori, who was from Tzipori. Sheirabo psul be Kohen Gadol. The original Kohen Gadol got a psul. Minuhu tachtav, and they appointed this Yosef ben Elam from Tzipori. Amar Chochamim rishon chozer v'daso, and when the the tumor was over for the original, they said the first Kohen Gadol goes back to work. Sheni eno roi lo the Kohen Gadol lo the Kohen Hediot, and sorry Yosef ben Yosef ben Elam, you're stuck. You can't serve as the Kohen Gadol, and you can't even serve as a Kohen Hediot. Kohen Gadol, why not Mishum Eva? Because the original Kohen is going to be jealous whenever the backup Kohen, he's, he's only the backup, and he's going to come and do Kohen Gadol type of vote. No, it's it's going to have jealousy and bad feelings between the two of them. Kohen Hediot, Mishum Malin B'Kodesh Lomaridin. He can't be a Kohen Hediot. He can't go back down to being a regular Kohen, because once we've raised him up, Malin B'Kodesh Lomaridin, we don't bring him back down. Or both sides, there's an amazing Gemara. One of our favorite Gemaras in Brachos Chavches, Brachos Koach, uses the same exact argument with a very different outcome. And this was the famous Maisei of Rabbi Gamliel had a fight with Rabbi Yeshua. And it was an argument over Tfilas Arvis, Tfilas Arvis Rashutol Chova. If Mariv is really a Chova, and there was a Machlog is Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Gamliel, and Rabbi Gamliel embarrassed Rabbi Yeshua, made him stand up in front of everybody, and they got together and they said, Rabbi Gamliel, we're, it's too much. It's too much authority. You understand, Rabbi Gamliel was right after the Chorban. He was trying to centralize rabbinic authority. And he didn't want any, uh, any discontent, any machlokis. So he was really asserting authority. They got very upset. They took him out of his position, and they appointed Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. And this is the famous Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah who says, and our Haggadah Shal Pesach, it's like I'm 70 years old and I didn't make the drosha. He wasn't 70 years old, he was 18 years old. But he got white hairs, so they would accept him as the Nasi temporarily. It seems they, they may have meant to permanently. Uh, so he was temporarily the Nasi, Rabbi Elazar ben Azari, even though he was only 18 years old. And then Rabbi Gamliel went and made peace with Rabbi Yeshua, and they agreed he should come back. But what happened when he came back? So over there in the Gemara and Brachos, they have a very different outcome. They said, listen, we can't, we, we don't want to depose Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah because now we've elevated him to be Nasi. But Rabbi Gamliel is going to have a problem with Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah being the Rosh Hashiva. He's, he's older and he was, he was the head before. So what are they going to do? So they had actually a timeshare. They had a timeshare of the Rosh Hashiva that Rabbi Gamliel was Rosh Hashiva, gave the drasha for, for two or three Shabbatot in a row. And then Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah had, had like one Shabbat a month, something like this. They had a timeshare agreement. So he said, it, was, it was a little bit different there. We didn't have this concept of the Kohen Gadol. There can be only one Kohen Gadol. There's only one Kohen Gadol. There's only one Aaron Kohen. But by the Nasi, by, by, the, by the, the rabbinate, by the Rabbanus there, they actually worked out a timeshare agreement. So it's an amazing thing. It had a bit, bit of a different outcome here. The Taisvot here, uh, he does point out that it's not necessarily, it, it, it seems this Eva, Mishum Eva, it's a Durabonan. That Deraisa, the backup Kohen Gadol, being raised to Kohen Gadol, Deraisa, he's a Kohen Gadol now. Now we have two Kohen Gadols Deraisa. But Derabanan, Mishum Eva, we, we, don't, we don't let him do it. But really, it might depend. The Taisvah says there, he says, Devar Tali Bemelech, he brings that often the king would have some say in who the Kohen Gadol was, like we talked about before. Sometimes the Ko- a Kohen would bribe the officials to be raised to Kohen Gadol. Didn't always work out so well for him. But it was totally on the king sometimes and the other Kohanim. It was, you understand, it was a little bit, a little bit political sometimes towards the end of the Vayashini. 
All right, well, we have, we'll fit, let's finish up. It's great. Shemal Mikulish Lamaridian, Amar Rabba Babrachana, Rabbi Yochanan, turning over the top of Yud Gimel, Halacha Rabbi Yosi. So the Halacha is like Rabbi Yosi that he's stuck. He can't, he can't be continuous Kohen Gadol, the backup, and he can't go back to Kohen Hedyot. Modi Rabbi Yosi, Shim Avar Va'avad, Avodato Kashera, and that he would agree if the backup Kohen Gadol went ahead and did an avoda, and the Rashi points out, in all eight begadim of the Kohen Gadol, because if he's only wearing four begadim of a Kohen Hedyot, it's possible because he needs to wear all the begadim because he's already been appointed Kohen Gadol as the backup. So that would be If Bidiyavi does the avoda, he shouldn't do the avoda, Mishim Eva, but if he did it, the Rashi is a Kohen Gadol also, Kashera. Amar Rav Yehuda, Amar Rav Halacha Rabbi Yosei, Madi Rabbi Yosei, she met Rishon, if the first Kohen, the original Kohen Gadol, passed away, Shechoser Levadato, that the second Kohen, the backup Kohen, should go back and be Kohen Gadol now. He's waiting in the wings. Pshita, that should be obvious. He's a Kohen Gadol of the Raisa. Ma'udetema, we would have thought to say, We would have thought that it would bother the original Kohen Gadol to know that the second Kohen Gadol is waiting in the wings for him to die, you know, waiting for him to die. Kamash Balan, we're not worried about that degree of Eva. There's an amazing point. Who prays for the Kohen Gadol to die? Trivia question. Who knows? Yeah, Armiklat. Somebody who, God forbid, Lo'aleno, killed by mistake, goes to the Armiklat. He leaves when the Kohen Gadol dies. Because we have, there's some responsibility placed in the Kohen Gadol. He didn't daven for this such a thing not to happen. When the Kohen Gadol dies, he would leave. So the mother of the Kohen Gadol used to send cookies to the Armiklat, to the people who had killed by mistake. And we see there's an amazing thing. We see that in the Midbar, the 40 years in the Midbar, no one got killed by mistake. How do we know? Because when Aaron Cohen died, everyone was upset. So we see from here, there was no one in, in a miklat that no one killed by mistake and was in Golis temporarily because everyone mourned Aaron Cohen. So that's this Mishim Eva. No one wanted the Kohen Gadol to die when it was Aaron Cohen, but later on, it, it uh, could become an issue. Good Shabbos.